the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today's message is simply entitled, Job Holds Fast to His Integrity. May as well. Everything else has been lost, right? Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner, is coming up next. ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. This is Abounding Grace. Hi. Welcome to our program. Pastor Gary Wagner continues with our survey of Job, and today we find ourselves looking at chapter 27 once again, a message called Job Holds Fast to His Integrity. It's there that we catch up with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, for today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Job says in verses 8 through 10, I know there is no hope for a hypocrite. I want to talk just a couple of minutes about the idea of a hypocrite. The Hebrew word is konef, C-H-A-N-E-P-H, for hypocrite means godless, profane, irreligious. A lot of times today when we think of a hypocrite, we think it's like, you know, that Gary... He really knows in his heart of hearts that he's not for real. Come on. He's just pretending. Too much of our emphasis on the word hypocrite has been on the subjective state, the emotional state of the individual, as if they're, you know, somewhere in a back room with a big black pot like a witch boiling their schemes to fool everyone. In the Bible, that's not necessarily what a hypocrite is. In the New Testament, the Greek word is just hypocrites. H-Y-P-O-K-R-I-T-E-S, which means a stage actor, someone who pretends. But if you put these two ideas together, you get a pretty objective idea of what a hypocrite is. He is someone who plays at religion, but he is really ungodly. And if you are around them, you know them, and you will know them because there is no fruit there. Jesus said in Matthew 7, people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? And Jesus doesn't say to them, oh, depart from me, because I know you thought you were Mr. Godly, but you were really a fake the whole time, and you didn't believe in Jesus in your heart of hearts. No, he said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, Against the law. In other words, these men were fake because they were not obedient. And that is fundamentally what a hypocrite is. Someone who pretends, but they are not obedient to God's word. Job says, that's not me, guys. Well, how can he say this? How can he know he is not a hypocrite? It is because he looks at his life. And he says, yeah, I may not be perfect, but I know what God has done in me. And I see his grace in my life. Yes, there is more to be done. And I am a sinner. But if I were a hypocrite, 
Would I cry to God when troubles come upon me? And what am I doing, guys? I'm crying to the Lord. Would I delight myself in the Almighty if I was a hypocrite? Well, I'm trying to. I mean, it's hard for us to see this because, you know, we think of delight as a Disney vacation. So because Job is crying, there is no way he could be delighting, right? But why is Job seeking the Lord? Because he wants him and he wants to delight in the Lord. Will he always call upon the Lord, it's asked? Job says, I am. And what do you think I've been doing for the last 26 chapters? I've been calling on the Lord. What do I need to do, Lord? Where have I sinned? What have I done? Let me tell you something about hypocrisy and dealing with it in your own life. When the Lord does something, maybe it's a family crisis that comes up or we fall into particular sin that is just tearing us apart. One of our first thoughts is, well, maybe I'm not really saved. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. So we start the whole process of going back to that date in, you know, maybe 1984 and thinking, was what I did that night really legitimate? Did I really have the right attitude? Maybe I didn't say the right words. Maybe I didn't confess all of my sins enough. Maybe I'm just fallen. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. Well, was Paul a hypocrite in Romans 7 when he said, the evil I hate, I do? That good that I love, I don't do? Was he a hypocrite when he said, I am wretched? Was Daniel a hypocrite? In Daniel 9, when 70 years had passed, he's reading Jeremiah, and he realizes it's time for the captivity to end, so he gets on his face, and he is praying while reading the word, and he just starts confessing. Daniel, one of the greatest men of Scripture, Daniel is one of the holiest men who has ever lived, and he just starts confessing, Lord, I am filthy. He includes himself, and he says, we haven't kept your law. We haven't obeyed you. We have trampled on your name. Was Daniel a hypocrite? Well, what's my point? A hypocrite does not cry over his sins, beloved. A man is not a hypocrite who struggles over and hates his sin. I love this quote from John Calvin, and I wish I could remember where it is in the Institutes because it made a huge impact on my life many years ago. But he said, and I'm going to paraphrase here, a godly man goes through seasons where he loathes himself because of his sins, and he cries out to God for mercy. He pleads for forgiveness of sins through Jesus, and he wants to be delivered. That is man is not a hypocrite, end quote. A hypocrite is someone who, when troubles come, he doesn't turn to God. Oh, maybe he'll turn to the bottle, maybe he'll turn to drugs or whatever it may be, but he does not turn to the Lord. So don't despair if, wait a minute, I see so many inconsistencies in my life. Well, are you crying out to God over it? Are you asking him for forgiveness? Are you seeking the Lord Jesus Christ? My friends, a hypocrite does not do that. So we may think at one level, I am a hypocrite. Well, look at your life. Can you see God's work? 
Can you see God's righteousness? Can you see some obedience? And here's something. Listen. When I sin, and when I see my sins, what is my response to it? Am I flatlined? Oh, well, everyone sins. Nobody's perfect. So uh, I'm still going to go to church, and I'll take the Lord's Supper, and I'll be nice. Uh, I'll be, you know, Mr. Good Christian. Well, there certainly is some hypocrisy there. But if I see my sins, or I fall into sin, I must remember the righteous man, according to Proverbs, says, he may even fall seven times, which, of course, means he falls a lot. But God is still holding on to me. When I feel my sins and I'm dealing with them, do I cry out to God? Do I hate them? Do I repudiate them? Do I say to the Lord, have mercy upon me, for I have sinned against you? Hypocrites don't do that. So Job is right. Job knew he was not a hypocrite. And it wasn't because Job thought he was Mr. Wonderful. It was because he knew God has worked in my life and I hate my sins and I want to be done with them and I want to please God and I want to obey Him. So we can even pray Romans 7. Lord, I find myself doing this evil that I hate. I even have attitudes toward my children that I don't want to have. I give in to lust or worry or fear or whatever it may be, and I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Have mercy upon me. Beloved, that is not a hypocrite. That is a godly man. That is a man who fears the Lord. You may be struggling because, remember, godliness does not mean perfection, and not in this life. Godliness means we have set God before us and we want to please Him. And we find all kinds of junk in our hearts and sin and corruption. But what do we do? We cry to God to deliver us. So Job says, guys, do you really think I'm a hypocrite? Really? You've heard me crying to God. You know the way I live and have lived. Do you really think I'm a hypocrite? So Job ends this chapter, which really here is a sad thing, a difficult thing. Because he's going to have way more to say over the next few chapters along these same lines. But he says here in verse 11, I want to teach you. Now, I think this, again, is remarkable. Have you ever gone to visit someone on their deathbed or someone who's really, really ill? You're there to comfort them and the words, you know, just don't seem to come. But they have plenty of words for you. And when you walk away, you are the one who is comforted. Or maybe you go to see someone who's in prison. And you think you are the one who is there to be the encourager. And you are the one who comes away encouraged and comforted. Well, that's Job here. Why? Because the word of God is in him. And we will be the same when the word of God is in us, beloved. So he says, guys, I'm going to teach you. I'm not going to hide anything from you. I'm going to teach you, verse 12, some things you already know. So don't be vain. Listen. So what God does in verses 13 through 21 is, or 23 is to say, I'm going to agree with you to a certain point. I'm speaking more calmly now. I agree with you, verse 13, that wicked men have a very bad portion in this life. If his children are multiplied, it is because they will be killed. His offspring will be hungry. 
Verse 15, no one will cry when he dies. Verses 16 and 17, he can have silver like dust. He can have clothes like dirt, meaning he can have abundance more than the heart can even imagine. But, verse 17, and righteousness already knew this then, that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Job says, verse 18, he's building his house like a moth, nothing to it. It's made like tree branches. It's going to blow down. Verse 19, he's going to lie down, but he's not going to be gathered. And I actually think this refers to the Old Testament, that he's not going to be gathered to his father, meaning his end is not going to be very peaceful. And he's going to open his eyes and his death is not going to be what he expects it to be. Verse 20, terrors are going to take hold of him. He's going to be like the many in Jesus' parable at the end of Matthew 7, where the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and blew it over. Why, verse 22, God is going to cast that man out. He's trying to run away from God, but God is going to meet him and he will be the object of ridicule, verse 23. Men will clap, glad that man is gone. Why does Job agree with these, his friends? This is very much what they have already said, that the wicked are judged in this life. And you can tell a man's spiritual condition by his circumstances. If he's prosperous, well, he's, and wealthy, well, then he is blessed. And he must be right with God. If he is suffering and sick and poor, then he must be wicked and under God's judgment. Why does Job agree with this? Well, I think there's one main reason, and that is that Job recognizes that God does judge the wicked in this life. It is not always the way we think it's going to be. Lots of times, of course, as he's already said, God is long-suffering. But Job says, guys, let me tell you more. Let Let me tell you one more time what my conundrum is. If I was wicked, everything that has happened to me would be perfectly understandable. I wouldn't have anything to complain about. Job is here basically describing himself in these verses. Yeah, I had silver like dust, and it's all gone. I had children, but they're all gone. My house, I thought it was strong, but it turned out to be a moss house blown away by God's will. If I was a wicked man, this would be understandable. But what do you do, guys? When I'm not a wicked man, I'm holding on to my integrity because I know what God has done in my life and I'm calling upon Him. What do you do when all these things happen to you anyway? I know what all three of you have done. You've concluded I'm wicked and therefore I'm a hypocrite. I have finally been found out and I'm finally getting what I deserve. I'm telling you, and you already know this, I am not a hypocrite. Would a hypocrite call on the Lord like I have? Would he continue to call and pray and confess and seek his face and want to delight in the Lord? No, of course not. So what are you going to say about my circumstances? I already know. You have no answer. Now, Job doesn't give the answer here, so we'll have to wait until our next lesson. But for those of you who are trying to get at least a feel of the structure here, I think Job is saying this. I'm going to agree with your premises, but I will definitely deny your conclusion. 
Now, a few words by way of application. God goes to sift you, which is not going to look the same in everyone's life. What is going to help you when God goes to sift you? What do you need to be able to fall back on when you go through troubling times? You need to be consistently walking with the Lord, beloved. You know, I'm going to remember what he has done for me. I'm going to remember the prayers he has answered. I'm going to remember his faithfulness to me. I'm going to remember the times he has forgiven me, protected me, delivered me from evil. In other words, a godly life is a secure life if you're walking with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean God's not going to send storms. Jesus said the floods come against the godly man too, but the godly man's life is secure. And it's not secure because he exempted from testing. It is secure because his life is built on the rock of God's word. That is the best thing I can tell you today in light of all the fear in this nation. You know, mass shootings, vile, hateful protesters, the violence and the threats we get from all over the world. All of these things we see going on in the world tend to make us fearful. And then all the things going on in the church. We have evangelical leaders denying original sin and reformed parties telling us the Bible has nothing to say about the governing systems of the nations. And of course, there are those who say, since God is love and two men really love each other, that must be of God, right? There's such unclear biblical reasoning in the church today, and that's unsettling for many of us. Sometimes finances and work are very unsettling. We live in very unsettled times. But remember, it's because the way of the transgressor is hard, individually and nationally. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I don't think any of the times that we will go through will be quite as difficult as Job's. So let's just hold on to what helped Job. What helped him? He walked with God. He cried over his sins. He repented of them. He offered sacrifices. And those sacrifices for you are not calves and and, uh, oxen and, and goats. It's your time. It's your finances. It's your life. He recognized everything he had came from the Lord. Let me encourage you to do the same thing. Walk with God. Spend lots of time in the Word. You know, sometimes we don't feel the immediate return that we seem to need or want from His Word. Well, we are not to read the Word like we put a quarter in a gumball machine and expect immediate returns, my friends. We read the Word because it is our manna, something that we need to feast on every day. Let me ask you a question, men. Do you remember what your wife fixed you for dinner a month ago? Tuesday night, three weeks ago. How about three nights ago? Do you remember what you had for breakfast Wednesday a month ago? No, but you are alive because that food fed you. And that's how we are to approach the word. We don't know what Satan's going, when Satan is going to come at us. 
We don't know when the flesh is going to attack. We don't know when it is going to be our turn in the hospital. We don't even know if we're going to lose our job this week. But there is one thing that will give us security and stability when our Heavenly Father, who is very wise, says, Okay, Gary, it's your turn now. And that is, we have built our lives on the rock of His Word, and we have eaten it, and we have taken it in, and we have held it close. Oh, beloved, teach it to your children. Have them memorize it. Talk to them about it. Why? Because a godly life is a secure life in the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. Believe it or not, though Job didn't feel it all at at the time, he is very secure here. He's much calmer. We don't understand, and Job didn't either, what goes on when God is working, but this is such a great book for this reason. Job was in the middle of all of this, and he's tearing his clothes and covering himself with ashes. It's almost like it's the end of the world. And yet, we know the truth, don't we? Job was a block of cement. He was secure. Why? Because the troubles God brings to a godly man will not unsettle his faith or his foundation if it is truly built upon God. And it may feel like it for a moment. But we must remember, wait a minute, God called me into the fellowship of his son. He loves me. And he who began a good work in me will keep on performing it. That is a promise, my friends. God is faithful. God is true. And we must trust in his promises. Job couldn't see how secure he was. And you really can't either. If you stood up right now and said, oh, if you only knew the fears I'm struggling with, if you only knew the temptations I'm dealing with, the doubts I'm dealing with right now, you would not say I'm secure. And I would look right back at you. And then I really hope you would do the same to me. And I would ask, are you calling on the name of the Lord? Are you believing in his word? In the midst of the tears, do you trust His promises? If you do, then you are as secure as if you are already in heaven. Because He who does the will of God abides, what? Forever. The floods came. The winds blew. They beat upon the house. It didn't fall down. Why? Because it was built upon the word of Jesus whose word cannot fail. That is the way we see Job here. And I know this is long coming to, and we're just in the middle of the book, and I'm with you on all this, and I want to move some, to some kind of conclusion here as well. But godliness, my beloved, is not purchased at Walmart. Amazon doesn't deliver it. It takes time for us to unfold all these things as we study Job. And learn how Job endured all of these things. He kept calling on the Lord. Why? Because God had done a work of grace in his life. And God would not let Job go. And he won't let us go either. Because you can be assured he loves us. And he sent his son to die for us. And he has given us his word to live by. 
So let us build on these things. You know, that's the extraordinary thing. I know I said in the midst of everything, things are a bit unsettled around us. But isn't it funny that in this unsettled age, people are looking for some extraordinary thing to hang their hats on. Things like, you know, I need an extraordinary vacation to get away from all this. I need that extraordinary place to eat dinner just to forget what's happened today. It's almost like people adopted the old pagan idea of, you know, I've got to cut myself and bleed just to know that I'm alive. I need to do something extraordinary. But we learn in Job's life, the really extraordinary is the ordinary. Trusting in the Lord. Crying out to him. Casting our cares upon him. Trusting his promises. If you do these things, my friend... You will never fail, and an entrance will be made for you to God's kingdom. So let's seek all these things together. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.